Hi, everyone. I'm Jasmine. I'm Alea, and welcome to Whitman's So White, a platform to share by POC voices and tell our stories. As many of you should know, many students at Whitman, mainly students of color and Black students, have been voicing concerns about lack of diversity at Whitman and lack of diverse and inclusive spaces inside and outside the classroom. One of the groups on campus who have been doing much of the heavy lifting is our Black Student Union. Examples of their work are BSU demands to Whitman College, results may vary, and other letters sent to the administration demanding their voices be heard, and that Whitman commit to fulfilling their demands. If anyone listening um, who goes to Whitman has not looked at these documents, we highly recommend that you do so, and we have them linked um, in our Instagram bio. Today is incredibly special because it marks the 50th anniversary of the original demands from the 1970 Black Student Union. We are so lucky to have Phil Boss, the president of the 1970 BSU, and Aliyah here again to talk about Black life and activism at Whitman and how it has changed throughout the years. So do you all want to introduce yourself? Well, hi, everyone. Again, my name is Aliyah. I'm the vice president of BSU. Uh, Phil Boss. Whitman alum, 1971, uh, Black Student Union president from 68 to 1971. Awesome. Thank you guys so much for being here. Um, this episode is kind of an extension of the Black Life at Whitman stories across the years, um, which is the Zoom meeting slash panel that Aaliyah and Hannah led um, about a week and a half ago. Can you, um, Aaliyah, kind of start off by talking a little bit about how that went and like the big things that you touched on during that panel? For sure. So the Black Life at Whitman um, stories from across the years went really well. Um, similar to this, Hannah and I just wanted to provide a space for Black alumni to share their experiences and their frustrations with Whitman College um, and the lack of progress that the institution overall has made when it comes to um, creating an anti-racist environment for by POC students. Um, and some of those topics you know, most of it was just the experience, like personal experience of um, all of the alumni, the three who came and helped us out. But we talked about um, like how to hold our administrations accountable. We talked about um, keeping the momentum, especially during this time um, when we have so much work to do. And we also, I think it was really important that we talked about there has always been work that is being done for this institution by um, students of color. And now it's time for Whitman to kind of just catch up and help us get to where we need to be. So that's kind of what um, that panel was about. And the panel was recorded, right? So people can go back and watch it if they couldn't make it to the Zoom. Yes, absolutely. Um, there's a YouTube link that I can give to you guys, and also it's on the theme for Whitman's new race, violence, and health project, and it's on that website. Great. Um, so um, a question for um, Phil is if you can relate to anything Aaliyah has brought up um, with that panel, but I guess more specifically, I was actually wondering if there was such a space to have that kind of panel maybe in person um, when you were at Whitman. Um, but in general, what is your take on like the, 
I guess, the activism scene um, and how it has changed um, at Whitman? Well, it's very clear that it's changed a bit. Uh, we actually used to use uh, Anderson Hall quite a bit uh, in the fire room, have fire, fire room chats with uh, uh, students uh, that wanted to know more about the struggle. And as you guys probably know, uh, the people that come are probably not the people that need to come. The people that we want to reach are not trying to hear what we have to say. So in some ways, I think that the, the message is still the same because the message is about justice, it's about inclusion, uh, it's about having Whitman uh, viewed as a uh, community that is actually a realistic community, and that would mean you would have diversity. And so I think the struggle goes on there, but I would say uh, the, the difference that I see clearly right now is, is that uh, when I was there, uh, it was only black students involved. And so I think today the diversity of the youth uh, is cataclysmic in terms of the power that you guys have. Uh, when I came up, you know, my friends were basically all black because I was excluded from coming into the, the houses of my white friends. Uh, today, the power you have is, is that many people that are white or Asian or Hispanic are, they have friends that look like me. They have family members that look like me. So now when you see George Floyd, uh, on a live murder on TV, uh, this touches more than black people. This take, this, this really, uh, impacts everybody that has relationships with people of color. And I think that's the power that you guys have. It's the first generation that uh, the institution will not be able to conquer and divide. And that's how they've always managed to get what they want, is by dividing us. But today what I see and the inspiration I see is the numbers of people that are not black that are in it to win it. So uh, that's my inspiration uh, today when I do the little small things that I do. Absolutely. Um, I think that kind of shifting into what, like the changes of the Black Student Union, can you tell us what your BSU looked like in 1970, like the involvement that you guys had on campus, how big it was, just like some history about BSU? Well, the BSU actually started in 1968. It couldn't have started when I got there because it was just me. Uh, we had two juniors, but at that point, uh, I came from Portland. I came from Jefferson High School, which was a predominantly black uh, high school. So I was really uh, struggling uh, to get myself involved and be, you know, just socially and academically at Whitman my freshman year. Very difficult. I don't even know how I got, how I even came back my sophomore year. But uh, my south, what I did my, my freshman year is I reached out and uh, did some mini recruiting and got a few guys from Seattle and Portland uh, enrolled in uh, Whitman. Our sophomore year uh, in, in, in 1968-69, uh, we went to the student uh, faculty um, board and requested uh, a large sum of money for doing recruitment up and down the West Coast. So we recruited from Seattle all the way down to Riverside, California during uh, spring break. I imagine you guys do have two weeks off for spring break. And so that, that turned out to be somewhat fruitful. So we ended up having about, 
uh, grand total of about 10 Afro-Americans on campus, and nine of them were active um, in our meetings and um, the things that we tried to do, which was, which is often you can't do everything yourself. So we were bringing in uh, speakers from Seattle, from Portland. Uh, we brought in Alex Haley, uh, the author of Roots. So we try to, to do things in, in different ways to try to get the attention of the general uh, population. Uh, I might add that we weren't all that politically correct uh, when I was there. We used the words pig and racist uh, quite a bit in our um, in our meetings because we wanted to point out the differences because people people were very blind to there were differences. You have to understand that uh, we had uh, fraternities on campus that had racial clauses when I was there. So if you were black, you could even join Phi Delta Theta, for example. So um, uh, I was upset. Uh, I lost a couple of really uh, people I thought were friends uh, that were white because they uh, weren't able to see that my madness <laughs> and my anger was not direct directed at them. It was re re uh, directed at racism. And uh, so I really lost those, uh, those friendships. In fact, one of them really became quite the enemy whilst I was there. So uh, we tried to do it comprehensively. You know, we'd be walking across campus, and maybe you guys can uh, identify with this. We walk across campus, two or three of us, and people are actually thinking we're plotting to do something negative to the college. You know, so it's a lot of stereotypical things that happen to us throughout the day. Uh, Lord have mercy, don't leave the campus. Uh, that wasn't always fun. You know, we've been, I was shot at. Uh, I was kicked out of the student uh, teaching program on orientation day. Uh, I was in class and uh, did everything I could to get good grades. And when I got good grades, they told me uh, I didn't do the work. Uh, so there was all types of challenges uh, for me as a young man. You know, and now that I'm older, you know, it's probably some things I could have done differently. Uh, but when you're young, you're impatient and you want uh, what's, what you do now. And so that was our, that was our calling. Our calling was uh, we want change, we want it now. Martin Luther King has a quote that we rarely hear about that was our, uh, our anchor. And it said, too soon, not now turns into never. And as you can see, here we are talking about the same issues 50 years later. And so I think it's apropos uh, that that quote uh, is preeminently uh, important for where you guys are going in your movement today. Yeah, I think just in response to that um, and like the quote that you brought up from Luther King Jr. Um, and thinking about the civil rights movement, which like ended in. I'm pretty sure 1968, right when you were at Whitman. Um, and I think a lot of people have this misconception that like, you know, after the civil rights movement, you know, everything was fine. People were integrated. Um, and that was kind of like the, the only thing that needed to happen. Um, and obviously like from your experience, we know that that's not true. Um, and like, as you said, a lot of the things that you experience at Whitman are still going on. Um, whatever, 50, 50 years later. So, um, yeah, thank you again for like sharing your experiences and being here. My pleasure. I want to ask you about 
the BSU demands document of 1970. I kind of just want to give listeners um, history on that, how you guys came up with the idea and the outcome of it. Um, hopefully everybody listening will be familiar with it because it was featured in results may vary. That was kind of like the point. <laughs> um, but yeah, if you want to give us, talk to us about um, your document. Well, you know, when we were there, um, I noticed that uh, the words in your, your podcast was, Whitman so white. And I don't think you guys even have a clue of how white it was when we were there. It was not a very um, holistic environment. It was just white everywhere. And uh, nothing that we had uh, were things that we could relate to. There was not one single class, for example, that made any sense to me in terms of how that would relate to me in my personal life or my background. And so one of the demands that we had was to uh, incorporate some black studies uh, at Whitman College. Uh, we also requested to have a black counselor. We demanded that they have a uh, uh, hundred black students. You know, looking back on that, I can see where people would say that's pretty unrealistic, but you know, our, our goal was to shoot for the stars and land in the trees. And hopefully uh, that meant we could get at least 50 or 30 or 20, which would have been a more enriching environment, diversity, you know, in, in terms of diversion, diversity. Uh, and, and for all the, all the uh, students, and, you know, I think what we tried to do in that demand letter was to create an environment that was not just good for black students, but was good for all students. And so uh, what we did, we made a decision. We stood over by uh, the tower at the administration building, right outside the door. It was six of us. And the, the question was, are we going to go in here and make a demand and refuse to leave until they say yes, or are we not? And so five out of the six of us said, yes, that's what we're going to do. So you can imagine being in Walla Walla, Washington and, and talking about taking over the administration building. So that probably didn't go over too well. There was the, the Walla Walla police was right on campus waiting for us. Um, but we stayed there for a number of hours. I think we were there about seven hours and they gave, they gave in pretty easily and said, okay, we'll, 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 uh, meet your demands. But again, it goes back to, uh, Martin Luther King's quote. And also, it kind of speaks to one of your questions about accountability, you know, because you're only there for three or four years, right? And so how do you uh, maintain the momentum uh, when you're just there for a, a little while, you know? So you got to make sure that people behind you are committed to the process and to the goals. And I think that's probably where we may have fell short was preparing uh, those behind us to carry on the fight because I know there was a long period of time when nothing was being done. And they placated the system by saying they had a black cultural uh, environment, but uh, I tried to call that lady and she wouldn't even talk to me. So it wasn't very cultural to feel boss. Of course, uh, I don't know if you guys know this, but uh, uh, for a long time, my name and Whitman College was struck fear in some people's hearts. 
because we didn't really play around. You know, you're talking about five, six black guys on campus, and we ain't playing. And so I think that was difficult for uh, the administration. And I think it was difficult for uh, the Whitman uh, community and the Walla Walla, Walla, Walla community as well. Uh, so we were the right people at the right time uh, because we were starting this off. And there was so much to work for. And there were so many misconceptions about race. And so uh, our goal was to uh, bend the administration's will. So they would say, at least on paper, that they agreed with our demands, which they did. Now, how much they did about it, I'm not clear that they did a whole bunch. So they kind of we got we kind of got played on that one because we again we were just there for a short time. I'm I'm going to graduate that that spring, and so I'm out. And then although there were five or six other people, I was still probably the most vocal. Um, the one that didn't make didn't mind being the enemy, the enemy of the state, uh, to get my point across. And so I think we lost some momentum. And uh, if I could do it all over again, I would certainly spend a little bit more time with the underclassmen uh, to get a feel for uh, their commitment to continuing uh, the fight for equality on that campus and, and inclusion. That um, that really makes me think of when Aliyah and Hannah both graduate. Who's gonna like take up the work and continue it? And it's they can't do all of this work and then leave it behind and leave it as a document for generations of students ahead of them to pick up later. Um, so I do think that those underclassmen at Whitman. Who, who listen to this or who are familiar with Aliyah and Hannah's work that, you, I mean, your time is now. You don't have to wait um, and to kind of pick it up and run with it um, because you can't just let it sit there. Um, and like you graduated um, and that was kind of it. And I, I mean, I don't know of any um, active work to bring your demands um, up to spotlight since like the recent years um, at Whitman. So I think it's really chilling to know that it's taken so long for someone to pick it back up. I just want to just make a real quick statement. I want you to realize though that there's still hope and the hope is that you guys are carrying the mantle today. And uh, again, I, I, I tell you, I'm, I am so inspired uh, by your generation. Uh, holistically uh, for the fight and the struggle. And uh, you're right. And I'm right. You know, the momentum is always hard to carry when you're only going to be there four years. But I, I gave you a little bit of wisdom. You got to start identifying people that come behind you and make sure that the struggle continues. And that's where we feel short. But you're correct. You hear that, freshman? <laughs> So, Mr. Rost, have you read um, Results May Vary, the document that Aaliyah and Hannah wrote? And, like, if so, what are your thoughts on, on, their, on their work on that? I think it's on point. I think it's pretty comprehensive. I think it really uh, hits the bullseye. 
And I think that the administration has, a, they're very savvy. They know, and they're depending on us not being able to continue the momentum when Aliyah leaves, you see what I'm saying? Or when you leave. They're, they've seen this before, so they can placate us and they can say yes, and they can do a few things, throw us a few bones, and then they know you're gonna be gone, and then life will go back as normal, as usual. So I think uh, one of the mistakes I didn't do, I, I mean, that I made was, I don't know if you, you probably don't know this, but I didn't come back to campus for 40 years. And the reason I didn't come back was because there, I had I had really had some demons about my experiences at Whitman College. And uh, even though it served me well to have it on my uh, resume, uh, there were a lot of things that uh, really, truly bothered me as a human being, not let alone being black. So I think that if I would say anything about that document, I would, I would really caution you as an alumni to stay involved with the process, to encourage the current Whitman students. So there's some continuity in that document that continues to breathe life into that document so that the administration can't weasel out of it because that's what they're going to try to do. You know, Whitman is, you know, they have one of the biggest donor programs in the country. And so a lot of those donors ain't really all that, uh, uh, they're not going to warm up to uh, some of those demands. But I think it's incumbent on, and, and, our, and our, our, I think our responsibility for us to, even though we leave as alumni, to let people know that we're still going to be involved. And I, I feel flat on my face on that one. And so that's a, a regret I have. But, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty, And sometimes, you know, when you get older, uh, if you're fortunate and you're um, paying attention, you gain some wisdom. And so my wisdom would tell me for you guys to plan out. You have a great document. You know, it's so it's so it's much better than the document that we did, quite frankly. Uh, so I was very impressed. But the document's going to die if you guys as an organization and as an entity don't stay involved in, uh, be, and stay in communications with uh, uh, future uh, people in the organization. So you mentioned that you revisited Whitman not until 40 years after you graduated. And I wanted to ask how that revisit was and what was it like as an experience for you? Well, the reason I came back was I realized after 40 years that I had to face my demons and I had to kill them. And so uh, it was actually a spiritual cleansing for me. I met a lot of people um, that I went to school with. And uh, quite coincidentally, they had me on a panel of speakers uh, for the reunion. Uh, one person was um, the West Coast uh, editor for the New York Times. One was a adjunct professor at uh, the University of Cal at Berkeley. I was on their clinical uh, uh, social worker from Providence Health Systems, and we had another person on there explaining what the Whitman's um, experience was like. And 
when I had my time to talk and I explained to them what we had to go through, many of my co-students at that time came up to me and told me we didn't know. We just didn't know. And ironically, a student in the balcony of the music building, the old music building, she, she stood up actually and called me a liar and said that Whitman has never been like that. So it, kind of, it got a little testy. But I got to let you know, I'm pretty good with hecklers. Not in a nasty way, but in a comforting way. And so I think that uh, it was the best thing I could have done for myself and for the school. Now listen to this. When they found out that Field Boss was coming to campus, it caused a stir. People were on edge. I mean, I left there as a 22-year-old. When I came back, I was, what, a 55-year-old. Do you really think I didn't learn anything or grow and was still going to be the revolutionary type of person I was when I was 22. So it was really, it was really funny to me that they still had that, uh, those feelings, uh, about me. But sometimes somebody got it, somebody has to take the weight. And, uh, I didn't mind being the bad guy if it was going to be a positive response for the whole. So it, it was uh, it was uh, the best thing I did with, in terms of my relationship with Whitman College, the very best thing I ever did. And I'll probably go to the next one. I haven't been back since the 40th, but I, I probably will uh, entertain going to the very next one. Or I would be I would come up uh, in a in a minute's notice just to support what you guys are doing, because I, I want you to know uh, that I love you. And that I, what you're doing uh, touches my heart so deeply uh, in terms of where we are today. 2020 is a, a year like we've never seen before. And for you guys to be in the midst of this uh, fighting with all your heart, uh, it just inspires me more. So uh, please, if you, you have a... Uh, a time or a space where you need me and I can be supportive to you in the future, uh, I would be happy to do that. Yeah, thank you so much. That means a lot to us. Um, and like just hearing you speak about your experience um, of really pushing the administration is like very empowering. Um, but with this, all this talk about, you know, your experiences at Whitman, it just is kind of making us wonder, like, how did you how did you decide to pick Whitman as the college that you wanted to spend um, you know your undergraduate yes. career at? Well, this is quite the story. Um, my senior year, I was headed down to the University of Oregon. I had got hurt in football. I had got a couple of uh, Pac-10 offers, uh, but I didn't play my senior year because of an injury. And of course, eighteen year old black kid thinking that his way out was sports, uh, was pretty devastating. Uh, I believe God's been in the midst of my life always. And my student teacher 
was a young man from Reed College named Stephen, Stephen Kafori. Stephen Kafori ended up being a House of Representative uh, uh, person for many, many years. His wife, Gretchen, uh, was the, the county commissioner for about 10 years, and they both were Whitman alumni. Steve Kafori talked to me individually and said, Phil, there's something about you. I think that there's greatness in you. But I think if you go down to Oregon with the rest of your friends, you're going to party and have a good time, and you're probably going to flunk out before the end of your freshman year. I want you to go to my alma mater. I think that Whitman College can do a lot for you. But more than that, I think you can do a lot for Whitman College. And it was on that strength. Um, I'm sure each one of you know in your history, educationally, there's been a teacher here or there uh, that has taken a particular interest in you. They see something in you. Not everybody, but a couple. And uh, Stephen Kafuri was one of those people. And I was touched by it. My father was horrified. He said, son, don't go. There's still hanging black people up there. That is not a place for black people. But at 18, you know, I'm too stupid to be smart about things like that. And I said, you know what? I'm going to go to Whitman College. And so based on the strength of the uh, of Steve paving the way for me to get up there. Now, you know, Whitman College, you know, my freshman year, I think the average GPA was like 3.67. Um, the SATs were like over 12. I mean, there were some very competitive people in my class. And so here I come from Jefferson High School, a predominantly black school. Uh, I had good grades, but it wasn't the highest quality education because good teachers didn't come to my school. So that's how I got there. I got there because somebody believed in me and thought I could make a difference and thought Whitman could make a difference in my life. Yeah, and I think there's a lot of reasons why people end up at Whitman. I think it's so interesting that um, by POC students, like we keep showing up and we're, we're still there and we're still gonna um, hold the momentum and keep this moving forward. Um, I do want to ask how you think students should hold their administrations accountable, either at Whitman or any predominantly white institution, to be honest. Um, and we've seen, like for Hannah and I, like writing documents and for you as well, like um, putting our needs into words um, and kind of speaking their language is one thing that we've learned kind of is like works in, in some way. I want to say like it works, but like whatever. <laughs> Um, but yeah, how do you think students should hold their administrations accountable or any advice you would give? Yeah, I, I think you had to you had to really sweat them. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. If you know what sweat means, you had to put the pressure on them. You had to ask, hey, I just, just wondering how we doing on uh, line item 2B? Uh, because I'm not really seeing I haven't seen any uh, reports out. Uh, any committee hearings. I haven't seen any change. I'm just wondering uh, where we are. So I've learned, one of, the, one of the great things I've learned about uh, life is you don't always have to, to be on the attack. You can ask questions so people know 
that you know. So my key phrase all the time, and you guys can use this. I'm not going to charge you for it. You can use it for the rest of your life. Is when you get in situations where you're upset because of what somebody said, they might have said something racist. Oh, this team uh, is here because of their cerebral uh, intellect versus this team ath athletic prowess. You know, we hear that all the time. And so I, I always ask people, why would you say that? And when you say, why did you say that? What you're actually doing is you're forcing the other person to justify the position. The big thing is they can't get mad at you because you haven't said anything derogatory or you haven't put any pressure on them, but you just ask them nicely to justify what they're saying. So you have to always ask questions, even when you're alumni. I know I've been gone for five years, but how are we doing with line item B? Uh, I'm, how is that impacting and how have you guys grown in that in that area? So unless we continue to ask the questions, uh, not never turns, in, I mean, not soon, not now turns into never. And so that's what you want to try to avoid. Also, maybe networking with other organizations on the campus, like we uh, network with uh, the group that was anti-Vietnam War. Uh, that was really huge here at Whitman. There was probably a lot more people involved in that group than it was with the BSU. But we networked with them because there's power in multiple groups with the same goals. So identify uh, groups or organizations on your campus that can help you do the work. Because when you try to do it all yourself, you get isolated. When you get isolated, it's easier for the administration um, to disregard you. But probably the biggest accountability is as alumni uh, always questioning, what the hell are you doing? Where's the change that we talked about? You know, you're good about sending me those envelopes. Where's the change? Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, got to keep the pressure on them always. Oh yeah, you can't let them slide because see, they used to sliding. They'll give you a crumb here and there. You know what I mean? We actually had a black uh, advisor there for two years whilst I was there, and then and then when I uh, when the class of seventy two left, he was gone. Mm -hmm. See what I'm saying? So they. They're doing what I would call in, in, in the hood, the high side, right? And so we're not going to let them get by with that by uh, applying uh, pressure. And, that and I want you to know when I say that I'm not excluding myself. I need to do more. I need to also be with you guys in terms of uh, uh, providing uh, that type of pressure. Uh, from our generation as well. There's a number of us still around and some of us are doing well. Uh, so it, it's all of us. It's not, it's not incumbent on you, but find other organizations on campus that are about the word justice. And you can always align yourself with them because you're going to have more in common than you have that is different. So I identify them, continue asking those questions and hold them accountable. 
You know, because they, they're depending on us graduating and going on our lives while they're going to continue to be there. And they're going back to all the way to point A. We all have to be connected. And I have been unconnected for years. <laughs> and I admit that. And uh, um, talking to you guys makes me recognize that I need to be um, more involved in ways that I can be helpful to the current uh, issue. Yeah, and then kind of related to that, like this episode is really special because it's going to be released on Monday, um, September 14th, which marks the 50 years of activism um, so far. And obviously there's many to come. Um, and so for our last question, along with all the other many words of wisdom that you've given us today, what um, encouragement do you have for current and future um, by POC students at Whitman with their work that they're doing right now and continuing to do, hopefully in the future? Well, I would say that, first of all, you have to uh, understand that the work you're doing is not work in vain. We are. We're in a generation or a, a time in our lives where we're looking for instant gratification. We're looking for the results that we can see, touch, or feel. But sometimes it's about planting the seed. And it may be a change that you may not even see, but you planted the seed. So I would say stay encouraged, uh, understand the scope of the issues, just as it is a big issue. and. You guys, what you're really doing is that you're holding people accountable by your existence. You're holding people accountable by your list of demands. You're holding people accountable by uh, engaging with the administration, with other students. You're holding people uh, accountable by taking the chance of even coming to Whitman. I don't know. I mean, uh, you guys probably have your own little stories about uh, incidents that uh, might have hurt your feelings or, uh, or just just pissed you off. I mean, how can people be? It's a Whitman is uh, they'd like to call themselves the Ivy League of the West Coast, but you know, in some regards, they're pretty damn stupid about human nature, and that's because they're Whitman is so white, right? So the work that you do, do not uh, devalue what you're doing. Stay focused on the goal. And remember that it's an ongoing battle. And sometimes what we have to do is we got to pass the baton. Keep people engaged. Uh, make new friends and make less enemies when you can. So what have your positive or negative experiences been um, while at Whitman? You know, one of the, um, the greatest gifts I got at Whitman was understanding my freshman year that life is not simple. It's complicated. It was like, you mean to tell me I can't decide who people are by color? or gender and um, I, I just became overwhelmed because then I recognized that I was starting I was, I was going to have to be able to uh, have real conversations with people uh, to see their heart 
And that's what that's what the goal is. We want all people to be able to do that. So Whitman gave me that uh, gift. Uh, I, I was forced into it because it was just me my freshman year. It was good. The other thing that was a gift was I thought I was pretty damn smart because I had a high GPA. I had a good SAT. But what I discovered when I went to Whitman was I couldn't write. And because of Whitman today, I'm a pretty prolific writer. Uh, there were a number of professors that I want to mention uh, that was, um, they were lifesavers for me. Uh, most importantly, Dr. Muse. Uh, he lives about four blocks from campus. I think his wife just retired about three or four years ago. Uh, he was in education. Uh, Dr. Lee Bowker was my advisor in sociology and Professor Soper in, in uh, philosophy. Never had a philosophy class, but he was involved with the movement. So those were the things that were the most positive for me. On the negative end, um, there's, there's more than I can, we have time to talk about. But the ones that were probably the, the most horrid was we often got calls on the phone, uh, death threat, death threats on the call on the phone from, uh, the townies. You guys still call them townies? Yep. All right. Well, the townies didn't like us very much. So they, they, they called and threatened us quite a bit. Um, Another one was probably when I went to uh, Wahai, I got uh, thrown out of the student teaching program because uh, of what was said at the time. Um, so that wasn't very nice. And I got shot at on campus. A bullet came within an inch of my head. I heard something whistle past my head. And I'm like, what was that? First, I thought it was a mosquito. Then I saw a guy with a rifle getting back into his Lincoln. And I called the police. And, and you have to realize now that I'm, I'm well known because I'm out smoking. So I called the police and I said, the man just uh, shot at me. I've got the description of the car and everything. And the, and the police said, Mr. Boss, did they shoot you? And I said, no, they didn't shoot me. And he said, well, call us back when they shoot you. <laughs> so those type of things. Uh, the last one was a Professor Jackson. He was already about 145 years old when I took his class. And uh, I told you I couldn't write. And uh, I was a very competitive person, both uh, athletically and in class. So uh, my first paper, I wrote it in blue, but it came back in red. And so uh, the final... Uh, uh, test was worth like 60% of your grade. So I went to the library every night until it closed for three months. I got an English lit major to help me un uh, understand how to write. And I anticipated uh, my blue book coming back with an A plus on it, but he gave me a D plus. I was so outdone, I was just numb. And I went up after everybody left and I said, Professor Jackson, there's no way in the world that this is a D-plus paper. And he said, you're right. And there's no way in the world that a person like you could write it. So once again, I took it to the student uh, faculty council. He had to renew, uh, regrade me uh, based on the testimony of my uh, uh, faculty advisor, uh, uh, the 
librarian testified that she had to kick me out every night for three months. Uh, senior English Lit Met just said that she just looked at uh, the editing. That's all she did. The body of work was mine. And so he gave me a C plus. So there was always that. There was always little, the little, the little digs just to try to get underneath your skin. So by my senior year, I, I had learned to smile when they did that to me. And that really bothered them <laughs> because they started saying, this brother is crazy. <laughs> so in a, in, a, in a nutshell, that was uh, the good and the bad of Whitman College. But I say the final good is, is that uh, my opportunity to uh, talk to you guys and um, uh, see the work that you're doing, that you're carrying on. I am, I'm just floored. So thank you very much. Well, I just want to say thank you for one, your time, but also for planting that original seed all that time ago um, for your activism and for your uh, persistence and resistance to um, inequality. And we take it very seriously. And um, we're going to keep passing that baton. Amen. Amazing. So um, that's all we have for you today. As always, we hope this episode left you with something to think about, and we'll be back next week with a new episode of Women So White. Lastly, none of the time and energy we spend on Women So White is being financially supported. So if you'd like to compensate Aaliyah for her voice, her Venmo will be on our Instagram post. In general, all of our guests on Women So White will have payment options. Um, so go to at Women So White, pay up, and open your purse. And to compensate Mr. Phil Boss, um, he's going to explain a little bit of what you can do. Well, I work for an agency um, hospital, and uh, just to have uh, this conversation online would be compensation enough. I think what we, we said is, uh, and what we talked about, are, are, we really got to the heart of the, ma of the matter. And I think uh, this would be good for a lot of people just to hear. So thank you for that opportunity. We're of course honored to um, have spoken to you, Mr. Boss. Um, it, it's, it's an understatement to say we're honored actually. Um, really thank you for your time. Um, and we'll have a link to your work um, on our Instagram for people to visit. Um, so thank you again for um, talking with us. Thank you.